You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Give me in 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 10 through 12 this morning. Here's what Peter has to say. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is the word of God for the people of God this morning. Amen? Would you uh, join me in prayer for a moment? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I know that every one of us in this room is um, walking in here today with certain specific things going on in our lives that uh, you wish to address in the preaching of your word. I recognize, Father, that not one of us is qualified to be on this stage necessarily to preach your word, um, and, yet, and yet you do your work speaking through imperfect people to imperfect people. And so God, I ask that you would do that. I ask that you would take the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth, and God, I ask that you would cause them and use them for your own glory, your own honor, and to be helpful to your people, your flock, your sheep, your children. I pray that you would reveal your great power, your great faithfulness, your awesome presence to us through the shed blood, broken body, empty tomb, promise of return, Jesus Christ. I trust you to do that in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. I want to start us off with a question this morning, kind of get your mind, your heart kind of heading in the, in, in the right direction. I want to ask you, when, when, when have you recently um, questioned the faithfulness, the power, and the presence of God? Those three words intentionally, faithfulness, power, and presence of God. When, when have you found yourself questioning that, doubting that recently? In what circumstance? Faithfulness, power, and presence of God. When have you questioned it? When have you doubted it? Because here's the reality, right? That the message of salvation, the message of the gospel, uh, it's a message that actually highlights and lifts high the faithfulness, the power, and the presence of God. Here's the way you see this work out in the message of the gospel, the message of salvation. God has been faithful, has He not? He's been faithful to sacrifice His own Son, His only Son, at the cross, in our place, right? That's the message of the Gospel. God has been faithful to sacrifice His only Son at the cross in our place. And the power, I've got faithfulness, now the power of Christ's shed blood, the power of His broken body, the power of His empty tomb, isn't that then, as we trust and believe, isn't that then what gives us access to God's life-giving presence? 
So in the message of the gospel, you and I see the faithfulness, the power, and the presence of God. And yet, don't we often question those very things about God, right? Are you really trustworthy? Are you really good? Are you, are, are you really there? Are you really powerful enough to overcome this circumstance in my life? Deep down inside, we question God. See, when we begin to question whether or not we really belong to God, do you ever question that? Like, God, do I really belong to you? Well, when we question whether or not we really belong to God, what we're actually doing is we're questioning whether or not uh, God is faithful enough or powerful enough or present enough to overcome what we are going through. And the church, the churches, that Peter is writing to in this letter, I would imagine that they're probably struggling with some of those things, wondering if God is faithful, wondering if he's powerful, wondering if he's present, right? I think that they were most likely definitely struggling with the fact that they are scattered outcasts. And and, and as scattered outcasts, they also belong to God because they had believed this message of the gospel that had been prophesied in the past, preached in the present, anticipated throughout eternity. Think of those three words. Past, present, and eternity. Those are going to be key to what we look at today. They had believed the gospel. They had been prophesied in the past, preached in the present, believed throughout eternity, and yet, yet, they were still scattered outcasts. These early believers were literally experiencing the, the normal, kind of emotional, um, spiritual ups and downs, highs and lows of what it means to live in this sin-soaked world as strangers and aliens. We, I think we all get a sense of what this is like. To say, God, I've trusted in you, and yet life still sucks. It's tough, right? There's a tension in that. And that's the tension that's going to unfold its way all throughout this book. Imagine how easy it would be to get discouraged, to begin to doubt the message of the gospel. I'm sure that you have even probably struggled with that if I'm not being too presumptuous about human nature, right? It's easy to begin to doubt or get discouraged um, even though we've believed the gospel. I mean, isn't this typically what happens when adversity and suffering sets in? When you face adversity, when you face suffering, when you face hardship, don't we begin to doubt the message of the gospel and in so doing, doubt the faithfulness, power, and presence of God? Adversity and suffering and hardship has this really unique way of of causing us to question the trustworthiness of the gospel. And whether that adversity and suffering is a consequence of our own sin, my own failures, or it's a consequence of somebody else's sin and failures against me, it can be really hard to remain steadfast, immovable, courageous, um, trusting in the gospel in the face of adversity and suffering. Agreed? See, when, 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 when hardship and when suffering enter into our lives, don't we begin to ask questions like I asked earlier? Like, does God really love me? And yet, he allows this really 
hard thing in my life, again, whether that's like I'm, I'm struggling with my own sin or struggling with somebody else's sin against me, does he really love me? He's allowing all this hard stuff to come into my life. Is God really good, right? Is God really present in the midst of this hardship, this adversity, this suffering? Is he really present? And if he is really present, then, then why hasn't he put an end to it? Anybody ever ask that question? Like, why, why haven't you brought this to an end? Why am I still struggling with this years later? Well, why do I struggle so much with temptation when, when, when the spirit of the living God lives inside of me? Why do I struggle with temptation? Why do, I, why do I still stumble into sin so often if the king of kings is the Lord of my life? Why is that? Again, I think these are at least the essence most likely of what some of the questions that Peter's listeners are probably questioning, probably struggling with. And so when he writes these verses... He writes these verses to simply encourage the believers with this truth. That God loves you and I enough to bring you and I to a place where we have heard and where we can believe the message of the gospel that has been prophesied in the past, preached in the present, and has been anticipated throughout eternity. You think about the prophets of the past and the preachers of the present and the angels throughout eternity, right? Think about those three categories. The prophets of the past, the preachers in the present, the angels throughout eternity. See, the prophets of the past spoke the gospel. Prophets of the past spoke the gospel. You see this in verses 10 through 11. What does Peter say? Look at it with me. Peter says the prophets of the past concerning this salvation prophesied about the grace that was to be yours as they, the prophets, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. What does all of that mean? There's a lot of big words strung together. Peter's writing like Paul again. This simply means that the prophets of the past, they simply spoke of the gospel of the grace of Christ's suffering and glory, not only for the people in their time, but more so the people in the future. You think about the prophets of the past for a minute. I just want to pick on one. It's, it, it, as you do a study on the book of 1 Peter, you'll find commentators, authors, scholars will say that Peter, more than any other New Testament book, quotes the prophet Isaiah more, more, more than any other book. Um, and I'm not going to point to a specific passage that, that Peter quotes. I'm just going to point to Isaiah for a minute because there is a passage in Isaiah um, that is powerful. And here's the thing you need to know about the prophet Isaiah, okay? I'm just going to pick on one prophet. But the prophet Isaiah spoke to the people of Israel approximately 800 years before Peter writes this letter. So think about this. 800 years, okay? Almost three times, almost somewhere between almost three and four times the age of the United States. So doesn't that make you and I feel a little bit smaller now and not so big? Okay? Almost, almost three to four times longer than the United States has been a thing. The prophet Isaiah wrote this before Peter writes his letter. Here's what Isaiah says in chapter 43, verses 1 through 3. Listen to these words. These are powerful words. Thus says the Lord. 
He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overcome you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, catch this, your Savior. It's a message of salvation. 800 years previous to Peter writing this letter, who once again, as an author of a letter, quotes Isaiah more than any other New Testament author. He spoke the good news of God's saving grace 800 years before Jesus was born. Now, there are multiple other places you can turn to to hear the message of the gospel, the good news of God's provision of salvation for sinners from the past prophets in places like, again, Isaiah 53 is a low-hanging one. Um, that's a common one that a lot of us have probably heard. Uh, there's Psalm 118. It's powerful. Uh, Hosea 14 is powerful. Especially if you read all of Hosea up until Hosea 14 and you recognize that all of Hosea is basically God being like, hey, why you keep acting like a prostitute? Right? Hosea 14 is powerful. Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 13. Again, if you read the entire book of Amos, all you get is this prophet who's like, hey, you're going to pay the price for your sin. Quit being stupid. Quit walking that way. There's consequences for this. It ain't going to be fun. You're going to go into captivity. You're going to get scattered. That's what's going to happen because you, you pushed me too far, God says. And then at the very end of Amos in chapter 9, verses 11 through 13, he basically says, but I'll restore you. I'll come back. I'll ransom you. I'll redeem you. I'll save you. I'll reconcile you. So these are just to name a few of the prophets of the past, right? That spoke the gospel. How encouraging. How encouraging would it be if you just put yourself in their shoes and think about this? The original listeners um, comprehend the fact that God was thinking about your salvation 800 years ago. And he moved. He moved not just one prophet. He moved multiple prophets to speak about your salvation. <coughs> Put yourself in the seats of the original readers of this letter for a minute. Feel what they must be feeling when they read this. It may not be hard. There's an easy bridge from their culture to ours right now easy. This bridge is not hard to build and to get across. If you're in the seats of these original hearers of this letter, the original readers of this letter, you do not have the political power you need to get things changed. The world is headed that way. He ain't going to do nothing about it, right? You feel helpless, powerless. You don't have the social capital because in your society, You've been ostracized. You're on the sidelines. You're not the center of the culture anymore. You don't have the relational influence. You're scattered. You're an outcast, right? You don't have enough money in the bank to change your predicament either. You are basically viewed by the outside world as the scum of the earth. You're a little lower than the poverty line. 
your forgotten race. Top all that off, you're scattered, you're, you're disconnected in these really small, insignificant little groups, enduring persecution all over the known world. That's what's taking place to the people this letter is written to. I'm sure we can feel some of the sense of that palpably in our world today pretty easily. <clears throat> and into that mess of suffering and adversity, the Apostle Peter steps in, and what he does is he reminds you and I that the prophets of the past, some 800 years earlier, some even further back than that, they were raised up by God himself, right? The creator of all things to speak of your salvation today. So let me ask you again, where have you been questioning God's faithfulness? I don't hear those questions like, how stupid are you for even questioning him? Don't hear that. That's Satan guilt and shame, right? I'm asking that legitimately, like, where have you been feeling this question of God's faithfulness? Where have you been doubting God's power? Where have you been missing God's presence, like wondering, hey, God, where are you at in this mess? Because if you could lock in on that thing that's been going on inside of you, in these moments, you can give that to God. And you can be encouraged in these moments. Because I think God wants to encourage you and me today by reminding us that he raised up the prophets of the past to speak the good news, the gospel of salvation, to give us what? Assurance of his faithfulness, his power, and his enduring presence. Amen? Look at the preachers in the present now with me. The preachers in the present, according to Peter... Um, proclaim the gospel, right? While the, while, while, while the prophets of the past spoke the gospel, preachers in the present proclaim the gospel. Now, now proclaim and spoken are kind of in the same category, um, so it's a bit of a play on words. But I want you to notice, notice in verse 12, that should be up on the screen for you here in a moment, notice how Peter in verse 12 builds on the foundation of the prophets, which is an important phrase, because the New Testament in Ephesians uses this phrase, the foundation of the prophets. Notice how Peter builds on that foundation of the prophets of the past as he reminds his readers of the preachers in the present when he says this. He says, it was revealed to them. Who? Who, who was it revealed to? It was revealed to them, the prophets of the past, that they were serving not themselves, and if you do any kind of study on the prophets of the past, man, they endured some crap, I'll tell you. Okay? These guys endured some stuff. Most of the time, they endured the stuff they endured from the very people they preached to. Very few and far between do they endure some crap from those who were outside. Okay? Those prophets endured some stuff. Those prophets of the past that they were n serving not themselves although I'm sure the message that they got definitely encouraged them in that season. They were serving not themselves, but who? You. They were serving you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news, the gospel. The word good news there is literally gospel in the Greek. Preach the good news, the gospel to you. By what? By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Let me say this, because this is not in my notes. But here's the thing, the, the reason that those preachers in the present and those prophets of the past were enabled to stand firm in the face of adversity and suffering, 
the way that they were enabled to continue communicating the gospel and not get offline from that and start getting off and all these other little, let's make society better and let's do this and let's do that. The reason they were able to stay rooted in, in, in the message of the gospel is because they had the power of the Holy Spirit inside of them. I'm convinced that the, the Western church today lacks the power of the Holy Spirit because we trade that power off for something else. It, it becomes a truncated gospel at the end of the day. See, whoever the preachers of the present were for these guys, most likely definitely the apostles, right? Um, but, but whoever they were, Peter doesn't necessarily list them here. We, we get the sense that Peter's definitely one of them. Um, but whoever they were, they definitely proclaimed the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit on the foundation of the prophets of the past. Okay? So flesh this out with me for a minute. Like, I, I don't know... I don't know where you personally are struggling to believe in the faithfulness and the power and the presence of God right now. I'm hoping you've written that down or taken a note. I don't know where you're struggling to believe or to trust in the faithfulness and the power and the presence of God. But here's what I do know. I know that in the midst of the suffering and the adversity, what God has done is he has raised up people in your life to proclaim the good news of the gospel to you right now, right? Now, I'm not talking about people that you call, they're just going to smooth things over for you, give you a little pat on the back, change your diaper, and send you back to bed. I'm not talking about those kinds of people. I'm not talking about the kinds of people that just give you little placating words like, come here, sweetie, it's going to be okay. We need those people too. Um, but we have a tendency to kind of move towards those people more than anybody else, right? A real prophetic preacher. One who doesn't just like give you these kind little words that tickle your ears. A real prophetic preacher has the task of standing in God's presence, seeking God, seeking His Word, and then taking that presence of God and God's word and then moving over and standing in the presence of other sinners. I say other because the prophetic preacher is still very much a sinner too. Blows my mind that God would call people to preach prophetically um, while still being a sinner. And, and the scriptures actually teach us that God comes down and fills that person with himself so that the words that come out are his. That, that blows me away. When you look back at the Puritans, the Puritans believed this firmly. Um, so a, a prophetic preacher in your life has that task, that responsibility, seeking God for his word so that he might then stand in your presence and speak God's word of direction, correction, rebuke. Ooh, we hate those words. I don't, I don't want to correct me. Rebuke me? What? Correction, rebuke, comfort. Salvation, give me the comfort, baby. Don't give me the rebuke. Like, why would you even want comfort if you don't get rebuked? Like, you want some kind of weird, false kind of a comfort. That's what you want if you don't like the rebuke and the correction. Okay? See, a preacher in the present who founds his message on, on the past prophets is not only going to proclaim the message of, of glorious triumph and overcoming and victory. But that, that preacher in the present, if he's faithful, is also going to proclaim the gospel of suffering and adversity and hardship. And you don't hear this much in the Western church today, right? 
A, a, a faithful prophetic preacher is going to preach not a truncated, feel-good, pump-you-up kind of a message that is so prevalent in the Western church today. Uh, the, the kind of preaching that you find today in, in Western churches is full of rainbows and unicorns. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's not based on the Bible. It's based on a, on a piece of the Bible ripped out of its context and distorted. Drives, you can tell, drives me batty because I love God's Word. Right? Preaching that is all rainbows and unicorns is simply not biblical preaching. Because preaching that only focuses on combat and, and the glory of triumph and political power and all this other stuff. <laughs> Without suffering and adversity, it's going to leave believers weak and absolutely bewildered when suffering and adversity rocks the waters of the seas of our life. You can be left weak. You can be, you're leaving, like leaving sheep out to get eaten by wolves, and it ticks me off. Like the human soul is never, and it was never meant to be eternally refreshed or satisfied by a, a pop culture Christianity that proclaims the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel of political power, social reform, relational psychobabble pragmatic five easy steps to live in your best life now you want to consume that food it will make you sick it will make you sick it's not the food that our master shepherd is called shepherds to feed sheep on and yet you find it pervasively throughout our american culture because it's what we as sheep have a tendency to desire and a preacher's job is to say no that food will make you sick let me give you the gospel. Let me give you God's word unvarnished. That kind of biblical preaching you know, lacks the power of the gospel. So here's the thing. We treat the gospel as the starting point of our walk, and then we move on to social reform, psychobabble, political agendas, yada, yada, yada. I got saved back then. I know the cross and empty tomb. I'm over here now. I'm becoming a better Christian. I'm focusing on these things. I'm not saying don't get involved in those things. I'm saying don't make those things your gospel. Right? That's why we're at as a nation right now. Not because they took God out of the schools. Yeah, that's a problem. Could took God out of the church. That's what happened. Took the gospel out of the church. Took the Bible out of the church. Took the Bible out of Christians' lives. When the marriage is a wreck, and when the finances don't stretch, when the kids rebel, when the friend betrays you, when your political party doesn't win, or when your political party's just flat out being stupid. Can we all say amen to that? I don't care what political party you're in. We can all say amen to that lately, right? Like when you wake up and you realize that you basically are the same predicament today as you were yesterday, the same temptations, same weaknesses, same rebellion, very much alive inside of you, here's what you don't need. You don't need some goofy five-step pragmatic plan that promises you rainbows and unicorns. What your soul needs the most is the message of the gospel every moment of every day to keep your head, your heart, and your hands in the game when the other team has just got you down by 50 points, that's what you need. 
So who is that person in your life? Who is that person in your life who is presently preaching the good news of the gospel to you when the going gets rough? Who's that person in your life that when you call and you're like, hey, my, my kids are off their rocker. I think I biffed this as a parent. And they're like, you probably have biffed it as a parent. Rather than be like, oh, no, you've done a really great job. Right? Instead of doing that, they're like, you know what? Honestly, you need to hear the gospel right now, bro. You probably have screwed this thing up. But thank God for Jesus. Because that's who you trust in, not your work. Yeah, you need to walk better. But trust in Jesus. He did the finished work at the cross. That way you can be imperfect in your pursuit as a husband, as a parent, in your vocation, whatever. Right? Who is it that's preaching the gospel to you and not just patting your butt? I get rid of your butt patters. I made that word up. Butt patters. <laughs> Oh, what a riot. <laughs> I can get you some good gospel preachers in your life. That's what you need. Right? Guys, you need guys that are going to get up in your face and set you straight. Are you treating your wife right? Are you loving your wife? Are you serving your wife? Are you going to bat for your wife? Did you fail? Yeah, you probably did. Guess what? Jesus didn't. He loved his bride perfectly. Went to the cross even though she was a prostitute, Right? Not because that woman was going to do anything great for him, but because that's what he's called to do. You need people who are going to preach that gospel into your life. Get in your face and do that regularly. Women need the same thing. You need the same thing, right? I don't know what category to jump into right now because I'm totally off my script. So I'm going to jump into this category for, for women. Like maybe you just find yourself like just complaining throughout the day, right? Maybe it's just complain, complain. And you need another woman to get in your face and be like, hey, you know what that is? Sin. Because the scripture is very clear. Don't walk around complaining, moaning. Now here's the thing, sister. Like, Jesus didn't complain when he went to the cross. So you can trust in his work for you right now and become conformed in his image and walk better as you walk away, but you can trust in his work. You need people, not, here's five easy steps. When you get up in the morning, do a breathing exercise. Because that's biblical. Uh, when you get up in the morning, drink some tea. Because that's biblical. You give them, maybe you should do your devotion, at least the, you know, the, the little version Bible devotion that takes you five minutes. You should do that because anything longer than five minutes is too long. And that's the culture we built in the church. Then go spend hours studying politics. Hello. Get somebody in your life. Who is it in your life? If you don't have somebody in your life, who is it that is preaching the message of the gospel to you? Not as a starting point to get your life better. But it's the continual point to grow you into the character and the image of God. Who is that for you? And if you don't have it, ask God to give that person to you. Who is it that proclaims the finished work of Christ to the cross? Who proclaims the power of the empty tomb? Who is it that proclaims the faithfulness of the promise of heaven to you? So often we get stuck building our little heaven thing here. right? We need preachers in the present to communicate the gospel to us. And the reality is this, no matter what you're facing right now, I still believe God wants to encourage you and strengthen you and challenge you this morning, remind you that he has sent preachers into the present to speak the good news, the gospel of your salvation, to give you the assurance that you can rest assured today that he is faithful, he is powerful, and he is present. Think about the angels in this text. 
Think about the angels. The angels throughout eternity have longed to see the gospel in action. The angels throughout eternity have longed to see the gospel in action. Here's the reality. The reality of past prophets, the reality of present preachers bringing the gospel to us, uh, that reality is certainly encouraging when you face suffering and adversity, right? But what Peter wants his readers and you and I to do is to expand our vision, right? It's not just the past. It's not just the present. Those are micro-visions compared to the massive vision of eternity. God wants his readers to expand their vision of the love of God towards them. He wants them to see that salvation isn't just a thing of the past. It's not just a thing of the present. It's a thing of eternity. This is why Peter ends what he says here about the gospel of our salvation by turning our attention to the fact that the gospel in action, that is the things into which angels long to look. See, while prophets labored to present the gospel in the past, and while preachers uh, have traveled the globe to proclaim the gospel in the present, angels have been standing at rapt attention on the, and on the, like the edge of heaven, longing to see the gospel in action throughout eternity. Like, that's a crazy picture. <coughs> in fact, angels have been involved in the bringing of the message of the gospel from the beginning as well. I've got a paper at home on angels that I just wrote that deals with some of this. Y'all ever want it? Send me an email. I'll shoot it, shoot it to you. It's fascinating. When you do a systematic study all through Scripture on angels, actually, I think I only did like three books in the New Testament. Yeah, that's right. There's only like three books in the New Testament. And that was more than enough to be overwhelming, to be like, man, this is what angels did in regards to their participation in the message of the gospel? Imagine if it was the whole Bible. You can probably find a book about it. <clears throat> angels have been doing this for an eternity. Do you know how long an eternity is? Oh, you don't. <laughs> yeah, it's eternity. You really don't because we haven't experienced it yet, right? We're still living in this linear timeline where there's a uh, birth and a death someday. It's after that. Yeah, it's an eternity. Absolutely. What is that? I don't know. I've never been there. I've been to Walmart. I know I don't like it. Sorry, Bryce. <laughs> I've never been to eternity, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to like it because God's given me a promise of eternity. It's full of life, right? Ancient prophets, um, itinerant preachers, exalted angels. These three groups of people have stood for ages in the service of this message of the gospel, which is the good news of our salvation. It's the message that reminds us that every one of us is sinful to the core. Not just because you sinned, but because sin is alive inside of you. It's like a virus that can't be fixed by you, right? And yet, through the shed blood and the broken body and the empty tomb and the promised return of Christ Jesus as our King, through belief and trust and faith in that which only God can give you, because Jesus is the author of any kind of faith that you and I could ever have. 
So he not only gives you the faith, but then he's the object of your faith and he's the sustainer of your faith. That's the message of the gospel and it goes on and on. It's all throughout the scriptures, right? And yet we truncate the scriptures and we truncate the gospel and we turn it into these little five easy steps. The gospel in action is simply the thing into which the angels long to see. The message of salvation is the thing which angels for an eternity have longed to look into. When a person repents and says, yeah, I've been walking this direction away from God, making war against God, rebelling against God. When that person repents, turns around, walks the opposite direction, and turns to Jesus, what do you think the angels do? They throw an absolute flipping crazy party in heaven. That's what they do. They go wild. And it's a party that really never gets disrupted. It's a party that never ends. I get this vision of the angels in heaven for eternity throwing this massive party, right? There's no pain and suffering in heaven, so there's no pain, suffering, sin, or tears to disrupt that party. It's a party that exults in what? It exalts in the faithfulness and the power and the enduring presence of Christ at work in sinners who once were alienated, outcast by their sin, but who have now been brought near into the throne room of the Father by the power of the Spirit in the work of Jesus at the cross and the empty tomb. Now that's an eternal celebration in the presence of angels that blows the doors off of any Super Bowl party we could ever throw. That's a party. That's what it means to think about the angels throughout all of eternity longing to see the gospel in action. It's meant to encourage you and I. So I want to conclude this way. You've been questioning God's faithfulness? Where? You've been doubting God's power? Where? How? What? And why? It's been really hard for you to believe that God is actually present with you no matter the circumstances of your life, I want to encourage you this morning with this. Be encouraged. God has raised up prophets thousands of years ago to encourage you right now in this moment with the message of Christ crucified, risen, and returning. God has sent preachers in the present right here, right now, to call you to the foot of a bloody cross to ask you to spend some time in the doorway of an empty tomb (coughs) to encourage you to be reminded of the promise of eternity that God has given you in Christ Jesus. God has appointed angelic beings throughout eternity to observe His good work in and through you in the message of the gospel. See, if God is for us, if God is for us in the sufferings and subsequent glories of His Son Jesus at the cross, and the question is this, who, who, who could ever be against us? Right? Who could ever be against us if, if God has been for us in that way? Who or what could ever separate you or I from the love of God in the salvation of His Son over us? The answer is no one. Not even you. Not even your sin, if you trusted in Christ, could separate you from the love of the Father in heaven. That's the Jesus that we preach. 
the Jesus that we proclaim. It's the Jesus that we worship. It's the Jesus that we celebrate when we receive the communion elements, which as we close in, in, in songs, in prayer, we also close with communion. And the encouragement to you is if you're a believer and you're here, then please participate in communion because it's a reminder of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus over you. And if you're with us and you're not a believer, then, then don't, don't take the meal because you'd be doing something that means nothing to you and we do not want fake Christians in our church, right? We want to try to, 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 to grow and to disciple authentic Christians. So be real about that if you're here and you're not a believer. We love you. Thankful that you're here. We want you here. We just we want you to take that meal when that time is right. And that time will be right when you say inside of you, when the Holy Spirit leads you to say, I am a sinner. I have failed epically. And I'm trusting that what Jesus did at that cross and in that empty tomb is enough to save me and justify me and take me from the camp of being an enemy to the camp of being family. His shed blood, his broken body did that for me and I need to be reminded of that. It's that moment that that's the right time for you to begin taking that meal. And if that moment is now for you, I'll be back over here at my table here in a little bit. If you want somebody to pray for you, you come get me. I'll pray for you. Um, and take that communion. If you're at a table with other people, you might spend some time praying for each other, right, as we worship before you take that communion. You might spend some time praying for each other um, on certain things, however the Lord leads you. Um, I invite you guys to stand. I'll close this in prayer before we head into worship. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the message of the gospel. Lord, thank you for past prophets, present preachers, and angelic beings throughout eternity that have, uh, that have been raised up by you for this message, this message of the gospel. Pray, God, that you would draw us into your throne room in these closing moments, that you would help us to rest in the finished work of Christ at the cross, that we would apply once again his finished work and not anything that we need to walk out of here and work to do. Pray that you would do that. Trust you to do that. Lord, please come and inhabit the praises of your people. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Thanks for letting me preach. Love you guys. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.